You know, one of the uh, one of the saddest things that you can see in life is that of a of a life that's unfulfilled, of, of potential that's not been realized. Uh, somebody uh, who who has all the gifts and abilities in the world, physical appearance, personal charisma, perhaps musical or artistic or athletic ability, intellect, opportunities, and yet their potential, um, uh, their life is not fulfilled, not realized, not because of outside influences, but rather because of personal choices, uh, patterns, habits, behaviors and attitudes, self-destructive things that that, that, that keep them from becoming the person that they're created to be, the person that they want to be. Perhaps there's nothing sadder than that. Maybe you've known somebody like that. Maybe you've felt that way about your life at times. Today we come to a story of Samson, and he's a very similar, has a very similar story. A, a man of great gifts and abilities, and yet when we often think of his life, we think of his mistakes and his failures. Uh, today we're continuing our sermon series um, called Summer Vacation. If you just joined us, um, just to kind of give you a sense of what we're doing, is we are taking different stories in the scriptures of an individual or a group of people, a family or something like that, who take a journey and uh, they, they travel somewhere. And, and the lessons we can pull from that journey, the things that God teaches them about themselves, about himself, about the people around them, the world around them, what's truth and what isn't. And today we come to the person of Samson. And Samson's journey isn't very long physically. He doesn't travel very far. He travels from Israel uh, and it, it, to, to the land of the Philistines. It, it isn't very far in distance, but yet it's a, it has long-term consequences for him and for his life. You know, just an aside, I was really hopeful. You may notice that Matt Gary did a great job today filling in for Paul Austin. But I was really hopeful that Paul would be here today when we talk about Samson. If you don't know who Paul is, he's got long, kind of dark, curly hair. And I thought we could kind of do an experiment. You know, <laughs> if we cut his hair off, could he still play piano? Would he lose his ability to sing and play guitar? I don't know. But we'll have to try that another time. But we'll just stick with Samson today. But um, Samson in the Bible, he's... Kind of a character with a mixed bag reputation, right? Uh, he's, he's a man who has great strengths, literally. And he's a man who has great weaknesses. Uh, we can see it emotionally in, in some of the choices he makes, certainly in, in the area of, of his sexual part of his life. There's some great weaknesses. And yet we're told in Hebrews 11 that he's a part of, he's a man of great faith. In Hebrews 11, you know, there's a listing of some great heroes of the faith from the Old Testament and Samson's name is listed right there. And so he's this man of great faith, of great strength, of great achievements, but he's a flawed hero uh, who dies a wretched death as a captive in his enemy's lands. He dies blind, which is a final irony because his name means sunny. It's a tragic end to a life that promised so very much. Yet even in his final moments of humiliation, there, there was hope because there's always hope with our God. Because even when Samson is, is, is at the end of his life, even when there's despair, he's not fully forgotten by God. And that's a good lesson for us. Even in the midst of our mistakes and our despair and the hard and difficult times in our life, even when we're there of our own doing, we're not completely forgotten by God. So let's review his story. As you heard Justin read, Samson is, has a miraculous birth. He's born to a sterile woman and her husband. 
Um, his parents are told before he's in the womb by an angel that he's going to be a, a great man of God uh, and that he is to be a Nazarite. That means that he isn't supposed to cut his hair and, and isn't supposed to eat and drink certain things. And after he's born, he, as he grew up, God gives him superhuman strength when his Holy Spirit comes upon him and he, he uses it in battle to defeat hundreds and hundreds of Philistines, their enemies. Now, we're, we're not going to focus on that so much today. We're going to focus more on the end of Samson's life. But just to give you a sense of what happens in chapters 14 and 15, we see these two sides of Samson's life come into view. On the one hand, he fights the Philistines as God had predestined it. He, we're told that he kills a, over a thousand, he kills a thousand with a jawbone of a donkey. He kills a, a lion with his bare hands. But on the other hand, we see that he's also this person who has a fatal flaw, an Achilles heel, which afflicts him his whole life through. So as we move to, the, to chapter 16, when we get towards the end of his life, to the last days of Samson's life, uh, there's three things I want to pull out from this story. Three things. The first is we begin to see a pattern in his life. There's a pattern that's repeated over and over and over in his life with, with consequences. So what do, you, what do I mean by that? Well, back in chapter 14, we see that Samson falls in love with a Philistine woman and he gets married to her. Uh, the marriage doesn't really work out. Uh, her father uh, then sends him, sends her, gives her to another man and, and that makes him angry and so he, he kills some people. And, and, um, and this is despite his parents' objections. They didn't want him to marry her, but he did anyway. That's the first step of the pattern we see. And then we see this in chapter 16, verse 1, which Justin read. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. And then in verse 4, we see another woman come into the picture. The pattern is continued. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, <coughs> excuse me, whose name was Delilah. You see, Samson's fatal flaw was this fatal attraction to women. He was a sucker for a pretty face. And in particular, he had a thing for, for Philistine women. He never seemed to be able to resist them. He was literally sleeping with the enemy. And Delilah, as we know, was his downfall. It's interesting that she's the only one of the women in his life who is mentioned by name. Many scholars think that the root of her name was from this Hebrew word, Dalal, which means to weaken, which would be very fitting, wouldn't it? In any case, it was his relationship with Delilah that brings him to the point of, of downfall, a man of great promise destroyed by a lack of self-control and an inability to resist sexual temptation. Sounds like something taken out of the headlines, doesn't it? I mean, how many men and women have fallen from a lofty place, position of influence, politics, the church, wherever it might be, the, in business, due to sexual sin? In the Bible, we see countless examples of this. King David, Esau, Solomon, Jehoshaphat, a huge number of fallen in this area. And it's the same way today, isn't it? Sexual temptation is a, a great struggle for many, many people, especially with the advent of, of Internet pornography. And just like for Samson, so with us, the consequences are devastating for marriages, for families, for individuals and for Christian witness. So what can we learn from this? Whether it's sexual temptation or not, how can we break a pattern that's been established in our life? Well, let's look at verses 15 and 16, and we'll find there by inference a prescription to break a pattern repeated. Now, before I read, just, just so you know, Delilah here, as we just heard a little minute ago, 
is, is trying to learn the secret of Samson's strength so she can sell it to the Philistines, to her people. She doesn't really care for him. She doesn't love him. She just wants to use him to get more for herself. And two times Samson has lied to her about this, and now listen to her words. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. You might be thinking, as I am, what in the world is Samson doing here? What is he thinking? Twice already she has tried to rat him out for financial gain to the Philistines. You know the saying, once bitten, twice shy? Well, Samson has been bitten twice and he's none shy. What's he doing? He knows what she's going to do with the information. He certainly must know that she doesn't really truly love him. And yet, incredibly, Samson stays in the relationship. And even more incredibly, he gives in to her pleading. We can't conceive. Why would he do this? Normal people don't do those type of things. We don't run into the arms of temptation after being repeatedly burned. Or, or do we? You see, Samson had already gone over the edge. A pattern repeated in his life had led him to the place where he couldn't even leave, even if he wanted to, even if he knew what the consequences would be in his life. And that's the way that temptation works, isn't it? It sucks us in, and after repeatedly giving in, we lose the desire to walk away from this or that or whatever it might be. And the prescription is to not take a necessary risk. To not put yourself in a position under pressure, and especially not, certainly not, with your fatal flaw. I mean, a wise person, a person who wants to live a life pleasing to God, will take steps to avoid beginning a pattern, much less repeat one. Don't live on the edge. There was a great article about Billy Graham in Time Magazine. It's about 20 years old, actually. Uh, And the title of the article was, And Then There Was Billy. You might remember during that time, about 20 years ago or so, 25 years ago, uh, there were a, a very a lot of sad, tragic, very public uh, failures of many well-known evangelists. And the writer was looking at the life of Billy Graham and comparing him to those, those fallen evangelists. And in the article, he, he quoted Billy Graham about, they, Billy Graham talked about how concerned he was not to fall in this area. And he was so concerned not to fall in this area that he, he wanted to avoid even the appearance of evil or impropriety. And so he has refused to travel alone in a car with any woman other than his wife. Lifelong, since, the, since his marriage, would not do that. And, and the article went on to talk about his determination of his stand and talked about he was 75 years old at the time and then ended with this quote from Billy Graham, so far, so good. It's a lesson that Samson apparently never learned. He played with fire. He was burned by it. It was his great weakness, and he never dealt with it, and that's why he fell. He lived on the edge, and instead of avoiding situations and, and people who would feed his weakness, he sought them out. And a pattern was repeated in his life, and a prescription was rejected. You know, I don't know what um, your particular weakness or Achilles' heel might be, what leads you astray. Maybe it's certain company or certain food or drinks, certain habits, certain books, certain films, indulging certain thoughts. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 that if your right eye causes you to sin, 
to pluck it out. What he's saying here is better to, to take extreme measures than to continue to sin and lose your whole body. Jesus is saying completely remove and throw away and avoid always anything and everything that causes you to, to stumble and be destroyed. Samson didn't do that. Wise people don't live on the edge. They don't deliberately and repeatedly indulge in areas of personal weakness. What was it that Martin Luther said about temptation? He said, you can't stop the birds flying over your head, but you can stop them from nesting in your hair. So the first thing we see is a pattern that's repeated in Samson's life. But God gives us a prescription that if taken, will keep a pattern from taking root in our life and give us freedom. Now, before we move on to the second thing we see in the story, it's interesting to note the parallels between Samson and the nation of Israel. Both were raised from nothing. Both were chosen by God for a special purpose. Both were gifted and blessed. And yet both slept with the enemy. Samson with Philistine women. And Israel with the gods of the surrounding countries. So, we have a pattern repeated and a prescription rejected. Now we come to a power departed and a presumption refuted. So we know the story. Samson reveals the power, the strength, secret of his strength to Delilah. Uh, he falls asleep. She cuts his hair. The Philistines come in. He wakes up in verse 20. It tells us that he, he jumps up thinking to himself, I'm just going to go up like normal. I'm going to defeat them. And then we find these chilling, very tragic, sad words at the end of verse 20. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. What a sad statement. Now, there are three references in Samson's story in Judges where we're told the Spirit of God came upon him in power. They come in chapters 14 and 15. In chapter 16, it says, I swear the Lord had left him at this point. In fact, in chapter 15, there's almost a, a hinge or a, a turning point. In verse 19, we see that Samson's very, very thirsty. He cries out to God and God miraculously gives him water from a rock. And then in verse 20, it says, Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. It's almost as if the author is marking for us that Samson's useful ministry is, is almost over at that point. Because you see in chapter 16, Samson's going his own way. God's spirit is no longer upon him. He's self-sufficient. And it's as if God says to him, Okay, you want to do it your way without me? Go ahead, as you wish. You have free will. And God leaves him to his own devices. And after his hair is cut, and he springs up to meet the Philistines, Samson discovers that he's made a very grave error. Samson had presumed that God's blessing would not leave. Regardless of how he lived his life. And there's great warning in that for us. Simply put, in Samson's disobedience, he was forfeiting God's blessing. How many of us make the same mistake? We live the way that we want to, doing what we want, when we want, how we want, with whom we want, where we want, ignoring God's clear will and direction and commands. And then we expect God to bless our lives. We have no right to expect God's blessing when we deliberately, intentionally, over and over, Live disobediently. 
Again, we see parallels between Samson and Israel. Israel, just like Samson, was presumptuous when it came to God's blessing. Uh, there's a story in 1 Samuel 4 that after the high priest Eli's life of disobedience, it culminates in the capture of the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence for the people of Israel. And the verse in the story says, the glory of God departed Israel. And it wasn't that the Philistines captured God and took his glory with them. God's glory and his power and his blessing departed because of deliberate disobedience. Exactly what happened to Samson. So as Christians, we must remember this truth. We cannot defy God's will and his word and expect his divine blessing. We cannot presume. We can play it out in any area of our life, whether it's in the area of sexual purity or financial responsibility or raising our kids or marriage or or in ethics in our work world, whatever it might be. We cannot defy God's word. We cannot defy and ignore his will and expect his blessing upon our lives. So we have a pattern repeated. We have a prescription rejected. We have a power departed because of presumption. And finally, we come to a pretension demolished in verses 23 through 31. Verses 23 and 24 say, The rulers of the Philistines assembled to make a great sacrifice to their god Dagon, saying, Our god has delivered Samson into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their god, saying, Our god has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. You see, the Philistines are beginning to think that their god Dagon has got the upper hand on Yahweh, the god of Israel. They're beginning to think that their God is the real God, that he's been victorious over Yahweh. And yet in verse 22, we see a little ray of hope. It says, but the hair on his head, Samson's head, began to grow again after it had been shaved. It's a pregnant sentence, one full of promise, one that portends hope. And the Philistines, you'd think, would be watching for this. You'd think they would have, since they knew what the source of his strength was, they'd be watching for this, and that the first sign of stubble, boom, boom, Mr. Clean, you know? Just to be safe, just in case. But they don't notice this. Because they're beginning to think that their God is the real deal, that they've done it. That Samson and Yahweh have been defeated. And that Dagon, their God, has the real glory. He's the real God. But our God, the God of the universe... The true God will never allow his glory to be given to another, to be given to an imposter. And so Samson's strength returns as his hair grows. They bring him out to make fun of him. There's this huge gathering with thousands of Philistine leaders. Samson offers a prayer to God. Bless me one more time. Bring this power upon me. In a sense, he repents and asks for God's blessing. God answers his prayer. And the roof falls in. And thousands of Philistine leaders learned that the God of Israel is not a God to be trifled with. And Samson's epitaph in verse 30 says, Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. A pretension was demolished. God will never allow others to defeat his cause. Now, yes, he may for a time bring some form of judgment upon his people for their sin. And yes, he may withdraw his blessing because of our disobedience or that but he will never allow others to claim the glory that is his alone. There's a story um, that Richard Vermbrand, a man who suffered under the communists, told in his book, God's Underground. Um, 
After eight years in a communist prison, he's set free, and one day he's preaching in a cathedral. And as he's preaching, a member of the secret police, a man named Ugu Janru, was listening. And when Vermbrand finished preaching, the man was furious because he felt that what was being preached was anti-communist propaganda. And he began screaming and yelling at Vermbrand, threatening him, saying, Vermbrand is finished. Vermbrand is finished. And he stormed out of the church and ran to the street. And a car jumped the curb and crushed Ugu Janru to the wall, killing him instantly. Vermbrand said in his book that every now and then God would give that sort of sign just to show who was in control. That he wasn't going to allow his power and glory to go to another. That he would not be mocked. A pretension is demolished. God will not allow others to defeat his cause and steal his glory. So we come to the end of Samson's story and there's so much more we could talk about, right? We could talk about the danger of underestimating the power of sin. I mean, how many of us go wrong there. We know our own weaknesses and yet we get caught time and time again. I know I've been there. We could talk about going against the living God, trying to give his glory to others. We could make the point that Christians, all of us, are, in, are, are not that we're, we're vulnerable, that we need protection, we need prayer, we need support, we need encouragement, we need safeguards in place. But I want to speak for the last five minutes briefly about three more things. The first one is this, things that we can take with us as we leave the doors this morning. Gifts and abilities aren't everything. Consecration and obedience, that's what counts. You see, in many ways, God, God gives us gifts and abilities, yes. Samson had everything going for him, right? Except for one thing. Obedience. He had been set apart from before birth for God's purposes, and yet he deliberately disobeyed God. And so he came crashing down. God gives us gifts and abilities, but what really matters to him is our availability, our teachability, our faithfulness, our obedience. You know, you may be sitting here today and think, well, I don't really have many gifts or abilities to offer God. But what matters to God is that we ourselves are given over to God. That's what consecration is. If we are, God will use us wherever we are and whatever we do. It's the same way with the church, isn't it? No matter the gifts and abilities and past blessings and resources, we must not presume God's blessing. Each day and every week, we must give ourselves anew to him, seeking and doing his will obediently. Gifts aren't everything. What matters is obedience. The second thing I want to add is this. Sex isn't everything. What matters is self-control. That flies in the face of much of what we see in our world. There's a verse in Proverbs 25 which says, Like a city whose walls are broken down, a man who lacks self is a man who lacks self-control. That's an area of great weakness, a potentially fatal attraction for many of us, isn't it? That's where the devil makes his greatest attacks. So be careful, be wise, set boundaries, establish behaviors that are proper, cut out things, relationships, behaviors, situations that play to that weakness in your life. And finally, the third thing I want to add is failure is, isn't everything. What matters is repentance. You see, we all fail, right? We're all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. As someone once said, the whole truth about any of us would shock the rest of us. 
But both individually and corporately, there's always a way back. It's called repentance. Even at the end of his life, even at the point of despair, in the depth of his despair, God heard Samson, and he will hear us when we turn to him and repent. You know, some of us may have been flirting with disaster and danger in our lives. Maybe some of us are doing that in our lives currently. It's not too late to come back in repentance. It's not too late to find restoration and freedom from patterns that are being repeated in your lives. But will we do that? Will we come back in repentance or will we, like Samson, continue in disobedience and then suddenly wake up and discover that the Lord and his blessing has left us? Ultimately, the book of Judges and the story of Samson, just like the rest of the Bible, point us to the person of Christ. Because human heroes are always flawed. They always have an Achilles heel. But Christ alone will never let us down. Christ will never disappoint us. And so when we hear the story of Samson, and when we see his flaws in us, it must cause us to turn again to Jesus, our Savior, the one who will always be there, always forgive, and who will always take us back. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the story of Samson, his life, a man of great strengths, but obviously great weaknesses. And Lord, we can relate to this. We, we all have gifts and abilities. We also have things about our lives that we don't like. And, and there are times, if we're honest, there are things in our lives that we, we know what is right, but we just don't want to do it. We want to do our own thing. And we, so we persist in that direction. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us when we do that. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to, to flee evil, to seek your truth, to put good boundaries in place. Uh, help us to, to love you and to serve you as you've called us. Lord, help us to learn from the life of Samson and, and to know that uh, regardless of where we're at today, that there's always a way back to you if we simply come to you in repentance. We thank you, Father, for your truth and your love. We offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?